are going to start today's session with a conversation with Keith Bank, CEO and founder at KB Partners. Keith, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So let's get uh, acquainted. Tell us a bit about your background as well as uh, what you're trying to do with KV Partners, what is the investment thesis, and so on. Sure. So I've been in the venture business for about 25 years. Um, I started out uh, as an angel investor uh, in the mid-90s when uh, Chicago and the Midwest had a real void for early-stage venture money. Uh, did a series of one-off angel investments with my own money and some other folks that like to follow me around and had some good early success and parlayed that into a couple of early-stage tech-focused venture funds. Uh, did that for about uh, close to 12 years. And once those two funds were fully invested and harvested, I went back for about seven or eight years to my angel investing days. I thought I was better at uh, finding interesting entrepreneurs and opportunities and uh uh, did a series of 18 one-off deals, again, with my own capital and some other folks that like to invest with me. We had a really, really good run. And a handful of those deals happened to be at the intersection of sports and technology. It's an area that I'm certainly very passionate about. I was a three-sport athlete, always loved sports, followed sports. And the more and more I looked at the landscape, there were very few people doing early-stage investing in this area. Thought it would be an interesting niche. And in late 2017, early 2018, decided to get back into the fund business and raised a $41 million early stage sports tech fund, uh, recruited a few partners to join me, and we've made 12 investments in that fund, about to make our 13th. And uh, first of the year, we're going to be launching a new $100 million fund uh, to continue along the same path, and we've added a phenomenal uh, new general partner to join us for that fund. So that's kind of quick and dirty version of my uh, my VC career. So um, where do you invest? Is it all over the U.S., all over the world? What's your uh, geography? Primary focus is U.S. and North America. We've made one investment in Europe to date, but for anything outside of the continental U.S., we really have to have a much higher bar. Uh, you know, we're extremely hands-on, and we invest in seed and Series A. And yeah. Uh, distance and perhaps a time, time barrier, language barrier, other things. It just adds one more variable that uh, just makes it that much more difficult. So uh, we've opted to, for the most part, stick to the continental U.S., and it's uh, it served us well to date, even though there's obviously a lot of great opportunities all over the world. And are all you, all of you, um, all the partners of KB uh, situated in Chicago or the Chicago area? Uh, they are. Um, have three three partners. We're all we're focused in the northern suburbs of Chicago in an area called Highland Park. Uh, okay. Pre-COVID, obviously, we were on a lot of airplanes and traveling a lot. We have portfolio companies on the West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, pretty much all over. Uh, that came to a grinding halt eight or nine months ago. We've been working, for the most part, remotely since then. Uh, it's been an interesting time period. Uh, you know, a lot of highs and lows with uh, sports being canceled for a while. We were a bit concerned when that's our investment focus. But actually, most of our portfolio companies, I think, have probably been more positively affected than negatively because uh, we have a, a lot of investments in uh, video streaming, immersive media, 
esports. Yeah. Uh, also, just I think more by luck than anything else. A few of our earlier investments were in golf, fishing, cycling, uh, sports that people were still able to participate in throughout COVID, uh, where they didn't involve as much person to person contact like many of the team sports. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm going to get to actually talking about specific trends and specific companies in a moment. Just uh, just want to clarify one thing, which is the stage issue. Um, give us a sense of what is your definition of seed? What do you like to see by way of validation before you're willing to write a check? And, and what size check do you write as your first check? So typically, and I say we're extremely entrepreneurial, so we try not to set a lot of rules, but I'd say for the most part, we're not backing two people in a garage with an idea. Uh, it's typically where there's a mostly or fully hardened uh, product or service, usually some early customer traction, whether it be paying customers or betas. Um, our typical check size is a million to three million dollars out of the box, and we reserve a similar amount for follow-on in the companies that merit such. Uh, the team is usually three to ten people. Maybe they're missing one or two key areas, but for the most part, they have the bulk of the management team fleshed out. Um, and we look for, you know, enormous market opportunities, some proprietary, uh, aspect to the business, whether it be for patents or uh, just intellectual property that would be very difficult and expensive for someone to replicate. Uh, but first and foremost, beyond everything, it's all about the who. We have a saying at our firm, you know, the who is way more important than the what. The what has to be interesting, but without the who, we're not going to make the investment. So we spend an awful lot of time getting to know the entrepreneurs and look at all kinds of areas from uh, are they coachable? Are they malleable? Are they flexible? Do they have the ability to attract and re- retain talent? Are they charismatic? Do they have a cast iron stomach? Uh, do they have grit? Uh, you know, a lot of things you can't really put down on paper, but you kind of know it when you see it. So uh, in the early stage, we think that's super important to really focus on the team and the who. So now let's do some case studies of what you have invested in. And as you are telling us these stories, tell us a bit about what did you see? When how when did they come to you with what? What did you see in them that really captured your fancy? Um, sure. So I'll give you a you know, one early example that was that predates our funds, but uh, it's a company called Club Champion in the high end custom golf club fitting and building industry. And when I decided to attack it, people looked at me like I had three eyes in my forehead, like I was crazy. Um, uh, I thought it was a very mom-and-pop niche-type business that hadn't been handled in a professional manner. Like many sports activities, a lot of entrepreneurs in the space are former athletes, former coaches, hangers-on or whatever, and they may not necessarily have the business skills or acumen or experience to be successful, but they might know, you know about their specific area or sport through having participated in it. And I thought that this industry was ripe for someone to come up with a business model uh, with good margins, uh, good ROIs, and run uh, more like a professional business as opposed to a mom-and-pop shop like most of the competition was. Started in Chicago with a couple of locations. Uh, we've since grown it to 75 locations from coast to coast, about to start expanding internationally. Um, 
our early investors made about 38 times their money when we sold the business. So it was a very, very good deal for us, for our investors. Uh, <clears throat> I was extremely hands-on in the business, um, structured kind of the company, uh, not just from a, a legal perspective, but also from a business perspective, what, how, uh, you know, our model was going to be set up, what size locations. This is a brick and mortar business too, which is typically different from anything we invest in. Um, but getting, getting the model right, getting the margins right, getting the right team in place, uh, picking the right real estate, uh, making sure the business would scale with systems. So, uh, was very involved pretty much in, in all aspects of the business. And, uh, honestly going in, I thought if we, you know, made five, six times our money, we'd be doing good and thought it was kind of a sleepy industry and maybe didn't have venture characteristics. But, uh, after, uh, you know, doing the long march, uh, you know, we were rewarded very handsomely. Great. Let's talk about some of the digital businesses in sports tech. Sure. So one of the ones I'm particularly proud of and that uh, we got a lot of activity going on right now is a company called Phoenix, P-H-E-N-I-X. And uh, mm-hmm. this came to me in a very unusual way. You know, people always ask, how do you source deals? Uh, my son was in the commercial real estate business. Uh, this is going back about four, four and a half years ago. And he called me one day and said, Dad, you know, I you know, like what I'm doing, I'm doing well, but I think I want to go to work for an early stage tech company. And I said, uh, quit your job and go find something. And he did. And he found this company and about three months into it, he called me and said, dad, you really ought to look at what we're doing. This is some pretty interesting stuff. And I did. And basically a Swiss national who had come over to Northwestern to get his PhD in video streaming in 2002, before anybody even knew what video streaming was, um, had basically re-architected an open platform called WebRTC that Google had developed about a decade ago uh, to handle uh, real-time communication or chat, kind of one-on-one, one-to-three, two-to-three, three-to-five. And it was architected mm-hmm. for speed but not for scale. And uh, Stefan Beer, the tech genius behind this, came up. He thought that WebRTC was going to become a standard and was going to be embedded in all web browsers going forward, and he was very prescient and wrote about 2 million lines of code over a series of years and basically kept the two endpoints from WebRTC and re-architected everything in between to allow not only for blazing speed but also for scale to broadcast size audiences and total synchronicity between people, regardless of where in the world you were watching, who your internet provider was, what device you were on. And we now have a company that's a platform as a service model that uh, can stream video with less than half a second of latency to tens of millions of people concurrently in total synchronicity and broadcast quality. Why is that important? Um, With the emergence of sports betting, um, to be able to make micro bets on sports while a game is going on. Is the next play going to be a run or a pass? Is the next pitch going to be a ball or a strike? Is Tiger Woods going to make this putt? Is James Harden going to make this free throw? Uh, the pundits believe about 70% of uh, betting activity going forward is going to be on these in-game micro bets. So um, we enable that. We're the only company, to my knowledge, in the world that does enable that. 
all kinds of other use cases. We power um, Mannheim Auto Auctions, which is owned by Cox, the big cable company, largest auto auction platform in the world. Uh, used car dealers from all over the world go on to bid on cars. And by definition, an auction has to be in real time to function if you have people from all over the world trying to bid on something and they're 30, 45 seconds a minute apart. Obviously, it all falls apart. So we have lots of use cases across sports, auction, trivia. We're starting to stream concerts from rock stars' homes in this COVID environment. They want to be able to interact with their fans and know when they're singing a song, they want to hear applause, or if a comedian's giving a sketch, he wants to know if he's bombing or if people are laughing at his joke. And without real-time two-way communication, you can't know that. So there's just a host of use cases for this technology. We're in the midst of closing a $15 million Series B funding round. Uh, we've just launched a bunch of projects with several major telcos and uh, sports properties, and, uh, you know, really just kept hitting the scaling uh, part of this business. So do you uh, go to market as a platform with that company? Yeah, it's a platform. It's a technology solution that uh, a tech provider could either white label and license us kind of like Intel inside, or they can also uh, subscribe through our – everything we do is via software, so everything's done through data centers. We have 32 data centers for our POPs around the world right now. Um, who's doing their application development? Who's developing the use cases? Is that a is there a developer? Is this an ISV uh, startup network around it that's doing the developing? No, so we have an internal engineering team um, that uh, basically is not only developed all all the code, but is also doing the integration and implementation with the various customers. But one of the geniuses of what Stefan created is it's, it's a totally automated system, so you don't need scores of people sitting around making sure things are working properly. It's all provisioned in an automated fashion, uh, and everything is set up in such a way that it requires little, if any, human uh, intervention to run smoothly. All right. Uh, do you want to do another case study? Uh, sure. Um, another one, a recent investment <clears throat> called Hammerhead Technology based in New York City. I actually made a small angel investment in this individual several years ago. Uh, his name's Pete Morgan. Um, and he's an avid cyclist and had an idea that there was a way to create a better bike computer. Kind of the incumbents, Garmin and Wahoo, had devices that they really hadn't innovated much and not much had changed. And his vision was to create a iPhone-like device that would sit on the handlebars. This is for people cycling outside as opposed to Peloton and some of the indoor cycling apps. And so he came up with a very ruggedized, hardware and software combination that does everything from GPS, turn-by-turn -turn directions, ability to compete with people across the country, track your workouts, uh, call up interesting new routes. And uh, we just launched our uh, version 2 product called the Karoo, K-A-R-O-O, -O, the Karoo 2, and have had mm -hmm. just incredible uh, demand and pre-orders um, as part of our Series B financing, we brought in Lance Armstrong and his fund to invest. And uh, while he's a polarizing figure to many, he, he is kind of the gold standard for cycling and cycling knowledge. Uh, we also brought in some other very interesting co-investors. Uh, and I think that company is, uh, is about to take off. But again, what we saw was just a super passionate team very knowledgeable about the space with an idea how to disrupt what was kind of an antiquated 
uh, ecosystem, and they've done a, an amazing job of doing such. So now, uh, my last question is about what are you looking for by way of um, exits? Are you looking for unicorn-style companies, or are you looking for, you know, small capital-efficient businesses and early exits? So we typically will not invest unless we think we can make at least 10 times our money within a five to seven year time horizon. And by definition, that means you got to look for companies that hopefully can scale to nine figures in revenue in, in a relatively reasonable period of time. So, um, you know, we're looking for those outliers that can provide those outsized returns. And as everybody knows, in the early stage venture business, historically, the numbers are three out of 10 businesses you know, get their money back or a profit in seven out of 10, you get pennies on the dollar, you lose your money. Uh, we've had a much better track record than that, uh, fortunately. But, uh, you know, you got to win big on the ones that you went on to really have outsized uh, metrics on the return side of the business. So every deal we go into, we hope that's the case. They obviously don't all turn out that way. But, uh, you know, we're looking for 15 to 30% ownership stakes typically, so significant minority ownership stakes. We almost always take a board seat. We're, we're, we're quite involved in the businesses. And most of the deals we do are single-digit million pre-money valuation. So we're investing in a three, four, five, six million pre-money valuation. For the most mm -hmm. part, sometimes we break that rule on the low side or the high side. But uh, that's kind of our model. Great. Well, I think I've got what you're doing, and um, we will, uh, you know, we will definitely factor that into as we uh, look at deals. And if there are dots to connect, we will. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah, we, you know, the space we're in is kind of kind of niche and small, although more and more people are getting into yeah. it. And, uh, there's just so many. Like, if you would have tried to do a sports tech fund five, six years ago, I think people would have, again not been very interested because all of the uh, things that have evolved with artificial intelligence, sensor technology, concussion technology, youth sports, software platforms, sports betting, fantasy sports, esports, the connected athlete, health, fitness, and wellness, a lot of those things were really in their very early stages or didn't even exist. And now all those things are exploding, all the immersive media stuff and streaming. So uh, we think we're in a neat, neat space. Uh, it's something we're very passionate about. And, uh, you know, we look forward to continuing to hopefully be one of the leaders in the area. Yeah, well, you know, one thing I always um, talk about in our program is just like entrepreneurs look for product market fit, they also need to look for investor entrepreneur fit. And um, and domain knowledge on the investor side, they're not only fit by stage and, uh, you know, geography and, and sector and all of that, but also uh, just, you know, domain knowledge. And I think sports tech is a very specialized area where not many people have deep domain knowledge. So Look, I couldn't agree different. with you more. I always counsel entrepreneurs that are looking for money that as much as we interview you and want to know about you, you should want to know the same about us, not only, you know, as a firm, but who within the firm you're going to be working with, because you're going to spend an awful lot of time together, uh, probably as much or more as you do with your family. So you want to make darn sure you're comfortable with the firm, comfortable with the person, you have a good working relationship, because, uh, you know, I've seen situations where investors and uh, founding teams, you know, get at loggerhead, and that's, that's not good for anybody. Yeah. 
Very good. Thank you for coming, Keith. Nice to meet you and nice to introduce you to our audience here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Greatly appreciate it. Bye-bye.